morning. Happy Mother's Day. I have to say it. I know it's already been said, but this is a special, special day. I already see some moms uh, that don't normally come to Fox Valley that are just here to worship with your kids. What a joy it is for you uh, to be with us this morning. And I did not have a clue what went into motherhood or the calling of motherhood. I still don't, but I really didn't have a clue until my wife uh, became a mom, and I'm a dad, and we have three little kids, and seeing uh, the immense calling and purpose that God has for moms. There is such significance and legacy in the calling of motherhood, and as Anne beautifully put just a moment ago, that there are so uh, many feelings that come with motherhood, with this specific day, Mother's Day. And I just want to say all of it's welcome to come to the feet of Jesus, and I trust that God is going to meet you exactly where you're at to minister to you and encourage you this morning. Uh, we're in, in the book of Romans. Last week, we started back up, took a little hiatus, and we started chapter 12, which was a transition section. Chapters 1 through 11 is all this doctrine and theology, and then in chapter 12, Paul starts out with a very bold uh, calling for for us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, that that's pleasing uh, worship to him, and that we would allow the mercies of God to be the agent of transformation. Our hearts and our minds would transform because of the mercies of God, and we would begin to embrace God's plans and purposes for our life. Uh, Today's passage is going to bring this full picture of Christian love within the church, Hey, here's how you're supposed to act to one another in the family of God, how to relate to each other. And it's all about love. The greatest command is is love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, right? God is all about love. And in this text, Paul gets very specific where you and I live every single day. We're going to unpack a whole bunch of things that you feel on the daily, and he's going to say the true ingredient, the main ingredient for all these things is agape love. You can turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. We're going to be in 9 through 16, but I just have to say as you're turning there, listen up, this is important. The, the Roman church would have received this as a letter with not the same chapter breakdowns that we have. So we think of this, and we tend to sometimes isolate other chapters. This is all one letter to Rome. So anything that's been stated previously is now assumed up to this point. So our text today doesn't say the Holy Spirit at all. But in chapter 8, Paul talks about living a life in the Spirit and how we need the Holy Spirit to help us in our weakness. You will not be able to do anything that's written here today without the help of the Holy Spirit. So remember that uh, as we go into chapter 12. If you're able to stand, this is one way that we honor God's Word. One of our values, our first value is the preeminence of God's Word, and we honor it uh, by standing. Starting with verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Uh, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own 
sight. This is God's word. Um, Father, uh, we come before you and we sit under the authority of the word of God this morning. Father, I have a sermon manuscript as I sought and spend time with you, but this is your time to do what you want to do with it. And Father, I pray at the end of this message, you would be the hero of the story this morning. God, work in supernatural power and Father, specifically, I would want to just pray a blessing over our moms that, that they would sense a supernatural touch and message specifically to their hearts this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. 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 Go ahead and be seated. Our main uh, idea this morning is to serve God with a love that is genuine and active. Serve God with a love that is genuine and active. Right, This transformation that we encounter, that we experience through the mercies of God would now cause us to love with genuine and active love. Uh, the first one, let love be genuine. This is a literal translation, or the literal translation is let love be without hypocrisy. That, that's the literal Greek. And this word hypocrisy is a Greek word that comes from th- uh, the Greek theater. They would do these productions and they wore these giant masks You can probably picture them or you could look it up later, but these exaggerated features of happiness or fear or sadness and these just exaggerated uh, features. And and this word comes because it's being a hypocrite. It's not being yourself. You're putting on a mask. So Paul is saying, do not put on a mask as you try to love people. Don't let it be fake. Be without hypocrisy. And I think hypocrisy works itself out in a couple of ways uh, in the church. Here's one, uh, making the outside look better than the inside. Making the outside look better. Having a moral front where there is internal sin. This happens a lot. Happens in congregations, happens with church leadership. We pretend to be better uh, than we really are, and we put on this uh, holier-than-thou act, and really, we're just riddled internally with sin. And I'll say living in sin, right? Because all of us have sin, but, but we're actively living in sin. And that's one way. The other way is hiding your flaws by bringing attention to the flaws of others. It's a lot more fun to point out other people's sin, isn't it? I think of Luke 6 where uh, Jesus says, hey, before you take out the speck of someone else's eye, take out the plank in your own eye, right? If I can draw the attention to someone else's issues and problems, then maybe I won't get uh, put on the spot. My sin uh, will not come out. So why do we do this in the church? Because this should be a place with no hypocrisy. It's a hospital. All of us are broken. Our, our, our faith literally tells us that we need Jesus. So why do we do it? Uh, I think... It's because we prefer, we prefer looking good rather than being good because looking good is just a lot easier. Just putting on your Sunday best, coming to church, right? Looking good just takes a mask. Being good takes transformation. It's no longer about seeking to get the approval or praise of others. It's about owning our weaknesses, owning our sin, and as Paul says in Ephesians 5, actually having light expose the darkness, Paul says, be without hypocrisy. Let your love be genuine. We need to come open and honest. So that's the the first action step I have for us this morning. I'm going to bring out four. The first one is to take off the mask. Stop hiding. For some of you, this is going to be your biggest takeaway. You're feeling convicted that you come putting on this front. And I'm not saying this looks like burdening every person in the entire room with how awful you are in your sin. Like, don't go the exaggerated route here, right? I'm saying someone needs to know what's happening in your life. 
When something is in the dark, there's power to it. But in order to take off this mask, because it's going to be harder than, than we think, in order to take it off, you need to know your identity in Christ. We just sang about that. Your identity in Christ, that you are first a child of God. Before you are a mom, before you are a volunteer in Journeyland, uh, before you are fill-in-the-blank, you are a child who is dearly loved. The church that Emily and I met at was in Plainfield, Illinois, called Christ Community Church, and um, it was a Reformed church. Anyway, we we met there, and the pastor at the time said something like this. I I can't remember it exactly, so I might butcher it, but it's worth the effort. And it was something like this. You are more sinful than you could ever know, but you are more loved than you could dare imagine, right? The love of God. The God who knows all the deepest secrets of your heart also loves you more than anybody else. It takes that understanding to take off the mask. Know that we're living unto God more so than unto people. Let's be a church, Fox Valley, that, that has our masks off. People walk in and they, they sense a genuine love. And I want to affirm you, a lot of people ha- have shared that. that. There's a safety that comes through you, Fox Valley Church. Love Uh, Let love be genuine, and now let love be active. Uh, There are a a lot of exhortations that Paul gives us that I read. There's like 15 or 16, and I don't know how I'm going to get through them all this morning. I'm just, I'm trusting in faith. Um, They could each have their own sermon. In fact, some of these could each have their own sermon series. So God, please help me right now. I just asked in the power of the Spirit. Um, If you have a music background, you know the terms legato and staccato. Legato is music that just flows on and on, and Paul sometimes gives these sentences that just keep flowing, and it's like, man, when are you going to put a period, right, Paul? Uh, This is not that. This is staccato. He makes point after point after point, bam, 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 about how genuine love is demonstrated. Are you with me this morning? I need you to buckle up because we're going to go really, really quickly. This is a roller coaster ride into Romans 12. Okay, verse 9. Abhor what is evil. He's going to give a negative and a positive. Abhor what is evil. This means to hate. This means uh, to hate. Christians are called to hate what is evil. Love hates sin. Love hates sin. Why? Because sin ruins people, destroys relationships, and sends people to hell. Love hates sin. Pride, gossip, envy, immorality, uh, drunkenness, racism, you fill in the blank. We should despise these things. And when we see them in the church, we should follow Paul's instructions to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. And culturally, in a postmodern culture where everyone determines their own right and wrong, we are okay loving others as long as we don't impose our definition of right and wrong to them. But here's an important thing to know. Love is connected to right and wrong. In 1 Corinthians 13, 6, Paul says that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love has something to say about right and wrong, about good and evil, and we need to have uh, love and truth both exist in our relationships with one another. It's so hard to call out sin in someone else, and that's why we got to remember Luke 6. We got to take out the plank in our own eye before we start calling out the sin in someone else. There's a humility there, but you notice in Luke 6, he still says to take the speck out. 
you still do the work of calling out sin. This is hard. I think the best place this can get worked out is life groups, right? Because you start a journey together and you have trust. You have to have trust as a foundation. This uh, is just really, really important. When a situation comes up, we shouldn't shy back. We just read Ezekiel chapter 3 today, and, and God tells Ezekiel, if you don't do this, you're going to be accountable for their sin. They're not going to want to listen to you, but I'm still calling you to deliver this really hard message. That's some motivation for us. Uh, abhor what is evil, and then the positive is hold fast to what is good. This word, hold fast, in the Greek, we see it uh, throughout Scripture in the New Testament. We also see it a bunch in the Old Testament, and it means to be diligent. It actually has this idea of glue, being glued to something, attaching ourselves to what God says is right and what is good. Last week, we read that a big part of our transformation is renewing our minds, renewing our minds to the truth of God, soaking up God's word. That's uh, goodness. That's one way we hold fast to what is good is the, is the word of God so we can discern what is right and what is good. So how are you doing with that, church family? How are you doing with soaking up God's word, holding fast to what is good? When we do that, we can start to see through God's lens to have a godly perspective. Verse 10, he says, love one another with brotherly affection. This is just a familial love. It's the, the Greek word Philadelphia. It's brotherly love. It's, it's not love because of attraction or desire. It's love because you're my sister or you're my brother in Christ. That's how God calls us to love church family. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is a good one. We're, we're going to sit here for a minute. Outdo one another in showing honor. When you honor someone, you say you are valuable. It's a love that gives people dignity a respect, an acknowledgement, and we should really be good at this in the church. This should be something that we excel at. With it being Mother's Day, I, I was just reflecting on what are a few ways to really honor, um, honor our moms. Well, one thought is this, is show appreciation or thanks. There's nothing novel about what I'm going to share, but um, if you, for husbands here to your wives, especially, you know, if they're moms, but just regardless, and then kids to your moms, just show appreciation for what they do. Thank them. Uh, throughout any given day, there's so many withholds that we don't share. Hey, I saw you do this, or hey, you look pretty today. Hey, I appreciated you doing this. Stop withholding. Just share uh, what's, what's good. Share your appreciation. Another one is ask her advice. As a mom, there is a plethora of experience and wisdom and draw from it. Ask. That's a way to honor someone. Share your experience with me. Ask her advice. Here, here's another one. Three words. I love you. Right? Say I love you. We probably don't do that enough. And the last one I put down was esteem her privately and publicly. Esteem your mom. Esteem her for the work that she's doing. See the good in it. And, and do it privately and do it publicly. I, here's a word. Here's an exhortation from Pastor Brad for the men, for husbands. Don't ever speak illy of, uh, illy of your wife. That's a weird word. Don't ever speak badly of your wife in public. Don't ever do it. Build her up in private and in public. Honor her. Honor her. We like showing honor when someone's acted honorably, but, but when they're difficult, how do we do it then? We're actually going to unpack a little bit more of that in a few minutes, but, but what Paul tells us is to be competitive about it. Be competitive about it. Try to kill them with kindness. Win them over. That's an action step. Be competitive about honoring others. 
if you're, if you're competitive like me, take this as an opportunity to win at something. I am going to beat my wife at outshowing honor, right? Do it competitively. I just find that interesting that he uses that word. Do it uh, competitively. Can you outdo showing honor to those you don't know well? That's a little bit easier, I think, but when you do know them well, they've hurt you, right? You've seen their sin. Can you still show them honor? If we acted on this, every person at Fox Valley Church would feel deeply valued and I think, therefore, have more confidence to use their gifts that God's given them with zeal and enthusiasm. Verse 11, he gives a negative and a positive. Do not be slothful in zeal. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. So sloth means laziness, to be lazy. And in a context, a, a biblical context, it's saying to be lazy about the things of God. We tend to think of an over guy, an overweight guy sitting on his couch eating potato chips, right? Being slothful in a spiritual sense is being lazy to the things of God. And then uh, this, this word that we get here, uh, zeal, means enthusiasm. So a, a better translation for us to understand this might be, don't be lazy with your enthusiasm, don't be lazy with your enthusiasm. You could do an entire study on how much God dislikes sloth and laziness. Just read the Proverbs. Really doesn't like it. Our God does not like it. Sometimes we call it apathy today or indifference. And I think this is a plague in the church. A word that Revelation 3 uses is lukewarm. It's a really harsh uh, response that God has, spitting the church out of his mouth, those who are lukewarm. Being lazy to the things of God should have no part in the Christian life. The negative is do not be slothful in zeal, but the positive is to be fervent in spirit. The counterpart to laziness is to be fervent. Being fervent in the spirit means you have a passion to serve God and serve others. You have a passion to serve them. And, and I don't have time. I had to cut so much content in my message. Maybe I'll have Emily put out a video this week of how to be fervent in spirit. I don't have time to unpack that this morning. Uh, but this phrase literally means to boil. Like we must do everything we can to keep our spiritual temperature high. Action step three, boil with spiritual fervor. For you moms out there, as, as you make your kids mac and cheese, right? You're waiting for that water to start to simmer and bring to a boil. There's, there's an excitement. Something is about to happen. Now, when we use these phrases like zeal and fervor, we may be tempted to just picture a person that is always on the mountaintop. That's overly happy and just joyful, almost like annoyingly joyful, you know, that person? I know, someone's coming to your mind, I can think of one, right? But that's not where a lot of life is actually lived. This uh, expression or this idea is not just expressed through happiness. There's a wide variety of emotions, emotions that can uh, reveal itself in being spiritual fervor. And Paul knows that there's going to be seasons of fatigue, that life is hard. I mean, come on, this guy went through a lot, beaten, right, shipwrecked, near-death experiences left and right, all sorts of thorns in the flesh that Paul dealt with, and yet he didn't deny his circumstances and his experiences. Grant Osborne has a quote. He says, following Jesus will mean that believers will pass through a kaleidoscope of experiences in life. Christianity is neither denying life's hardships or dulling life's excitements. 
Our perspective of eternity in Christ can free us to enter into the full variety of living. Both laughter and tears are appropriate before God. You can have spiritual fervor that gets, gets lived out in different ways. In seasons of joy, you can be the happiest person in the room, the most encouraging person in the room. But in seasons of trial, through tears and heartbreak, you can cry out to God in worship and in prayer. Do you see what David does? His son is trying to kill him, and he cries out. You just feel the fervency in the Psalms as David depends on God. And I just have to take a moment uh, to, to give a shout out to my wife here. Happy Mother's Day, honey. Um, this year was probably the hardest year of Emily's life. And this woman didn't lose uh, spiritual fervency in her walk with Christ. It, it wasn't the mountaintop experience. In fact, it was the valley. And trying to understand that God's prepared a table for her right there in the valley of the shadow of death. But this woman... I see it at home, you see it at church, when you sh she shows up with three kids, two-year-old, three-year-old, and four-year-old, basically as a single mom, because I'm here at church. She's never been late to church, even though she does that, and you just see her heart being poured out as she sits under the teaching of God's word, as she prays for people up front, and as she worships with arms in the air during the trial. Yes. Thank you, thank you for modeling this for our church family. Thank you. Thank you. The purpose of having this spiritual fervor is to serve the Lord. The target of our energy and enthusiasm is to be emotionally and spiritually all in in the way that we serve God and serve one another. That's why Paul's saying to do this. I mentioned this last week, but I love that Paul gives us the reasons why we're supposed to do things. He doesn't just say, just do it and trust me. Do it to serve the Lord. Paul gives us three commands that are, that are to our spiritual and emotional well-being. It's a, it's a popular verse, verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. These three ideas all go together. So if I talk about them a little interchangeably, that's why they're connected. Rejoicing in hope. We often are resistant to instruction about how we should feel. I remember growing up, my dad would say, Brad, just choose joy. And I was like, you make it sound easy, right? <laughs> and for some of us, maybe we can just choose to be happy a little bit easier than other people. But the idea that Paul is saying here, rejoicing in hope, is not so much to just be happy, but to recognize that there's reason to be happy. Being satisfied in all that God is and will be for us in Christ. Contentment. The mere word hope brings in this picture that things aren't what they're supposed to be, right? We're hoping for something else to come. Something is not complete right now, and so we're rejoicing knowing that it will come. Our, our joy is not from what's seen. Paul tells us to the church at Corinth, don't focus on what's seen, it's transient, meaning it comes and it goes. It's fleeting, but focus on what's unseen, and that's eternal and everlasting. We can rejoice in hope knowing God's promises but we have to do it with patience, right? There is a patience endurance that comes. Paul says, be patient in tribulation or, or trials. This word means to stay under. To stay under the, the trial, the tribulation. 
Paul knows that relationships are messy and that, that trials are real, and Paul's not negating your pain here. Remember, we just talked about Romans chapter 8 when I opened the message, uh, depending on the Holy Spirit in our time of weakness. Paul says in Romans eight seventeen, he's talking about your trials, your sufferings are producing an eternal weight and glory. I see what you're going through. I've experienced it too. I've had these near-death experiences, but you know what? On the other side, it's not even comparable to the weight and glory that you're going to have. That's what Paul is, is pointing to. And so, uh, church, that you hear that are hurting this morning, you're in the midst of this trial, just ask God, pray to God that you would be able to rejoice in hope, knowing what's coming. Moms who are suffering this morning know that God has prepared something so, so good for you, and we can hope for that. And I love Hebrews 12 too. I said it last week, don't you love that our God goes through everything he calls us to go through? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, For the joy set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross. For the joy set the cross of Christ, an ultimate tribulation and trial, the joy that was set before Christ, the cross, Jesus knew the end. He knew what was coming, and he could rejoice in hope. But we need to be in prayer to do it. Paul says, be constant in prayer. Trials don't exclude us from praying. In fact, they should cause us to pray more. As I was reflecting on the importance of prayer in, in church family, here's a, a thought that came to my mind. In, in our relationships, uh, prayer transforms our hearts toward people and works supernaturally for people. Uh, prayer transforms our hearts for people. If, if there's someone that you love, you pray for them and you're going to love them more. If there's someone that annoys the heck out of you, you pray for them and they're going to annoy you maybe just a little bit less. If there is someone that you think of as an enemy in the church. Pray for them and watch God soften your heart. I've experienced this over and over again in my life. Pray a blessing over that person, and then it supernaturally works for people. Y'all, prayer is the ear of God. Do you remember the, sh the show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Anybody? Yeah. I don't even know if that's still on anymore. I have fun memories with my dad watching that and playing a little game that came out. But in, in Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, you had lifelines, and one of the lifelines was to phone a friend. It's kind of funny, they always answered, right? People don't always answer today. Um, that's a side note. But uh, we have the ear of God as a lifeline to pray to him whenever we want. And I just have to say, I'm so done with flippant prayers that don't mean anything. God has been really, really ministering to my heart in prayer. I've seen God work in power in prayer. Just in our life group, we had a new couple come. It was their first time with us, and we were doing a study in Philippians, and at the end, I said, hey, we just want to bless you. We want to pray for you. How can we pray for you? And, and they opened up. They're like, this is a really difficult season in our marriage. And I was like, God, thank you for just opening a door, the safety and trust that comes. And, and, and they shared that. And I asked them a question that if not assuming the best, maybe they would have thought I was being condescending. This is what I said. I said, do you believe in the power of prayer? Do you really believe that God is going to supernaturally work right now in this moment? And, and, and they said they do. And I really believe that, that they, they do. I sense the urgency. Please pray over us. I know this is going to do something. Uh, petition to God on my behalf. We can go to an all-powerful God who tells us he delights to give us the things that we ask for. And if he doesn't give us exactly what we want, it's because he has something even better that he wants to bless us with and give us. 
I, I'm so done with just throwing up prayers that don't mean anything. We can approach the throne of grace and find mercy and help. And we prayed for this couple. And God brought a word of knowledge and someone else affirmed it, some scriptures. And there was this beautiful picture of what God was doing and wanted to do with this couple. Unbelievable. But there was an expectancy. We anticipated God to do something. After the service, we have people down here on our prayer life team that, that pray for you. It's not taken very often. Let me just say, a couple people come down, that's about it. Maybe your step this morning is to come pray that God would ignite a fire. I know every single person on the prayer life team, they believe in the power of prayer and they want to pray for you. The famous preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones says, tribulation, hope, and prayer always go together in the New Testament. And it is a very good way of testing ourselves to ask whether they always go together in our own experience. They should. These things all work together. How I tend to see it is a tribulation comes in my life, I'm constant in prayer, and then I can rejoice in hope. That's how I personally uh, experience this. Uh, Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality. We could do a whole sermon series on this contributing to the needs, seeking to show hospitality. I'm going to breeze really quickly by just asking a question. When was the last time you broke from your schedule to help someone out? When was the last time you broke from what you were doing to meet someone else's need? Love is generous, and it helps people out. And when you're struggling and you feel too preoccupied in your tribulation, too preoccupied to help someone else, know it's actually going to make you feel better if you help someone else. This word hospitality in Greek means a a love for the foreigner, a love for a stranger. It's more than just uh, inviting someone in your home. It is that, but it's that your very presence brings a safety and a feeling of being at home. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Wow. Wow. Uh, the idea to bless someone that persecutes you is one of the most radical things in all of Scripture, in all the New Testament, because people and Christians are hurtful. Remember, this is in the church. Those who persecute you in the church, bless them. We've all been on the receiving end of hurt, and if we're honest, we've all been on the giving end of hurt. Hear this, family. Nothing communicates genuine love more than doing good to someone who's wronged you. Nothing communicates genuine love more than doing good to someone who's hurt or wronged you. Just think of Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. If your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Who do you need to feed today? Something encouraging. Who do you need to pray over to have your heart transformed for that person Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. We also sang this in one of the songs this morning. Identifying with the joys and heartaches of others is an important way for us to show them our love. Rejoice with those who rejoice. This is a a popular uh, phrase, and I don't think we think we struggle at it, but we do. We do actually struggle with this. Maybe that's why Paul put it first. Rejoice with those who rejoice. We are inclined to shed a tear or give sympathy to someone who is suffering and going through a bad time. But do we actually rejoice with others, or do we feel, feel envy and jealousy that we don't get or have what they have? When someone gets to go on a vacation that you can't afford, do you rejoice for them? When someone has a job or gets the promotion or gets a raise, do you rejoice with them? 
just thanking God that they have this opportunity, that God has provided for a brother or sister in Christ. Too many times this has come out of my mouth to my wife. Well, they don't tithe as much as we do. They can afford doing that because they don't tithe as much. It's, it's my, I'm making it about myself rather than just enjoying that for that person. God has called them to something, and he's called me to something, and it's not my business to get in there and do it. It takes a really mature Christian to rejoice over someone else and not make it about yourself at all. It takes a real mature Christian to rejoice with someone else. That, that's an action step I want to challenge us to do. Rejoice with others. Get genuinely excited about someone else thriving. Genuinely excited. And he says, weep with those who weep. People who have the spiritual gift of empathy and mercy, thank God for you, right? We need those people who will just sit with us and cry with us and not give us the best practical advice. Just be there praying, reading scripture. We need those people. And and, and someone that does that really well, give a shout out, is Pastor Tom's wife, Kathy. She left as soon as I got up here to preach. I'm not going to look into that, but uh, she was here earlier. I'm just teasing. She was here, and and I want to give her a shout out. Because she, I've seen it at least a dozen times, she just sits with someone, she cries with someone, she speaks truth and scripture over someone in a sensitive, timely manner. Praise God. And what a spiritual mother. Happy Mother's Day, Kathy. Not just to your uh, biological family, but to the church family. What a mother you've been over to us over the years. Amen. Amen. Uh, Verse 16, uh, live in harmony with one another. Next week, Pastor Tom's going to bring us into, more into Romans 12. And in verse 18, Paul talks about being at peace with one another. So I'm going to set Tom up for that. And, and he's going to bring this idea of peace and harmony next week. Uh, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. This means for us to hang out with the socially unimpressive. Those that we would deem outcasts. Now, when describing himself, Jesus says he is gentle and lowly. He makes himself lower for us. He's accessible. This word has this idea of being accessible, being available. God literally made himself available coming down to this earth to dwell with us. And when we pray, he's available. He is lowly. Do you hang out with the social outcast? Are you accessible to the unimpressive? And never be wise in your own sight. People who are wise, right, my way or the highway. But we need the humility to listen to the word of God and the people of God. And the Spirit of God. Let's throw that in there. I know the Holy Spirit wasn't mentioned here, but it was in chapter 8 thoroughly. We need to listen to the Word of God, the Spirit of God inside of us, and the people of God. That last one's the the one that's often left out. Uh, This is is a good way for us to close this morning because I know what we're all going to be tempted to do, and that's to walk out of this worship center and get in our cars and drive home and try to love harder, right? In our own strength. I can do it. I, I can do these things that Paul has said. I can do it. Don't try to do it like that. Allow the mercies of God to stir internally, right? We talked about transformation, actually inward change that, that comes out into outward action. Moms, if you want to demonstrate all this love to your kids, live it out like Paul says, and I know you do, Don't try to do it in your own strength. Get it and receive it from God. We love because God first loved us. The ability to pour out love to your kids is contingent upon the amount of love that you're receiving from your father. Embrace 
God's love for you. In fact, all these things that Paul calls us to do, your own relationship with God, your identity and receiving love for God is going to impact it uh, thoroughly. Embrace God's love for you. And here's the reality, church. The reality is uh, you're going to fail. Yeah, and, and this is actually, it sounds discouraging. It's not. This is one of the most encouraging things you're going to hear, maybe ever in your life, but certainly uh, today. Not in the form you thought. Uh, you are going to fail again and again and again. And my guess is within five minutes of walking outside of this worship center, you are going to not do one of these things we just talked about doing or do one of the things we talked about not doing, right? But here's what you need to know. Where you fail, God never will fail. Where you fail to show love and honor to someone else, God will not fail to honor and show love to that person. When someone fails to show you love that we talked about here, God can provide, supernaturally provide all that love. In fact, in Romans 5, 5, it says, his love has been poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit. John 3, 16, God so loved the world, agape love, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You will fail. There's so much freedom owning that. I can't do it on my own. I need the help of God. But allow the mercies of God, knowing that God has you, and he has the other people in the church as you try to love them. Let's pray. Uh, Father, God, we are called to strive to doing these things. We are called in the power of your Holy Spirit to do our best to live out this love that's genuine, but it results in action. It results in an agape love of, of doing things for other people. But God, we can only do that to the extent that we experience the transforming love of God poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Father, on this day, would we not settle for secondhand goods? Would we not settle for the byproduct? Would we settle for you? And that would fill us up. Father, as we try to honor people, would we first just try to love you? and honoring one another would come. All these different things that we talked about, would we experience the transforming power of your love this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I want to invite you to go ahead. Uh, let's stand. Let's respond to God's love. All that he's done for us. All that he has for us.